Chapter 11 of The Sacred Herb by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Dr. Horace's Warning When London was made acquainted with the verdict, the majority of people were satisfied that justice had been done. Miss Chent's behavior while in the dock, the open sympathy of the Grange servants, the occurrence of the second murder, so similar in all respects to the first, and the evidence of Horace with regard to the anesthetic properties of the sacred herb of Easter Island went far to enlist the public in favor of the accused girl. Perhaps, also, her youth and brilliant beauty had something to do with the loudly expressed pleasure of those who read in the newspapers that she had been set free. Of course, there were the usual malcontents, who agreed with no one and wrote to the journal stating that the verdict was wrong. A communication to the Daily Telegraph insisted that Miss Chent must have lied, declaring that she fell senseless while unfastening the window for fresh air. If it had been the case, Captain Jadby would have found her lying near the window, whereas she was discovered in the armchair near the fire, some distance away but a supporter of the late prisoner replied to this by pointing out that the murderer of Sir Oliver undoubtedly had picked up the girl while she was insensible and placed her in the chair. The first correspondent retorted that Sir Oliver was dead and his murderer conspicuous by his absence when Miss Chent entered the library and so could not have shifted her from the floor onto the chair. To this the defending writer wrote that there was no proof of Sir Oliver being dead when Miss Chent entered, as it was apparent that the fumes of the herb had drugged him into insensibility, and therefore the murderer must have entered later to kill the baronet and remove his niece from the place where she fell, by her own showing, to the chair in which she was discovered by Captain Jadby. And so the war of letter-writing went on, and although Mona was free from the danger of hanging, her character was still stained, in the opinion of some people, with the blood of her uncle. Prelice was furious when he read this correspondence, but on the face of it did not see how he could defend Mona, since he had no evidence to bring forward in her favor. On the testimony of the knife, it was generally considered that Agstone had murdered his master and then had come to Alexander Mansions to kill the barrister. But, of course, both Shepworth and his friend, knowing the true story of how the knife came into Agstone's possession, were by no means certain that the old sailor was guilty. The mystery of Sir Oliver's death was no longer one to the public, as everyone had been misled by the suppression of the evidence dealing with the knife, but it continued to be one to those who had suppressed that same evidence. But of one thing Lord Prelice was certain, namely, that Mona's character would have to be completely cleared by the discovery of the real criminal. With this idea in his mind, he went next day to Alexander Mansions and learned, somewhat to his surprise, that Shepworth was within. Inspector Burge informed him of this at a chance meeting on the stairs and affably told the constable guarding the door of number 40 that Lord Prelice was to be admitted to see the prisoner. Not that he is a prisoner, said Burge, nodding. 
We are merely detaining Mr. Shepworth until the inquest is held on the body of Agstone. When does the inquest take place? asked Prelice, lingering to ask necessary questions. Tomorrow at three o'clock in the afternoon at the Greyhound Hotel, Kensington. Beyond the fact that the jury will bring in a verdict of willful murder against some person or persons unknown, I don't think that we, the police, that is, my lord, can give any evidence to indicate the assassin of Agstone. Then why accuse Mr. Shepworth? I don't accuse him. If you don't, why arrest him? It is best to be on the safe side, said Burge dryly, and notwithstanding what Mr. Shepworth may have written to you, my lord, the arrest has not taken place. He is merely detained, pending the inquest. And under suspicion, flashed out Prelis loyally, the inspector shrugged his square shoulders. If you like to put it in that way, he said indifferently. But it is absurd to suspect Mr. Shepworth, cried Prelis excitedly. Many people saw him insensible, in the same way that Miss Chent was insensible. If she is guiltless, and a competent jury have acquitted her, Mr. Shepworth also must be innocent. The evidence of Dr. Horace... Quite so, my lord, interrupted Burge with a rather bored air, but all that will be discussed at the inquest. We need not enter into it now, considering we have insufficient premises to go upon. If anyone murdered Agstone, which they certainly did, since no man can stab himself in the back, it must have been the lady seen by Mr. Shepworth, finished Prelice. Hmm, that might have been a hallucination. And the moon might be made of cream cheese, reported Prelice heatedly. It may be, assented Burge gravely. I know no reason to the contrary, my lord, but this talk leads to nothing, and I am very busy. Go in and see your friend. You will find Dr. Horace with him. Dr. Horace, echoed the young man, staring. Inspector Burge nodded. So you may guess that. When thus permitted to see his friends, Mr. Shepworth is not a legitimate prisoner. By the way, added Burge formally as he took his leave, I am delighted that Miss Chent has been acquitted. Of course, she is innocent. Entirely innocent, in my opinion, and very beautiful also. Mr. Shepworth is a lucky man, my lord. Good day. The inspector descended the stairs, leaving Prela somewhat puzzled. The young man could not quite determine whether Burge believed Shepworth to be innocent or guilty. At one time he said one thing, again he hinted at another. However, it was useless to ponder over the enigma, so Prelice entered the flat after a word or two with the uniformed Cerberus who guarded the door, and was conducted by a somewhat pale parlor maid to the library. Here he found Dr. Horace, looking more uncivilized than ever, in deep conversation with Ned. The latter sprang up when his friend entered. Shepworth had lost some of his ruddy color and his eyes had dark circles under them. Otherwise, he appeared to be quite composed and not at all like a man accused of a serious crime. And in spite of Burge's protestations, Prelice believed that the inspector did so accuse him. Mentally, at all events. 
"'You are just in time, Prelice,' cried Shepworth, grasping the newcomer's hand warmly. "'In addition to the mysteries of these murders, we have another to solve in the person of our friend here.' "'There's no mystery about me,' said Horace, gruffly. "'I merely advise you to leave matters as they stand.' Prelice looked as astonished as Shepworth. "'But I say,' he cried, "'you wanted to take a hand in the game yourself, Horace.' "'I have taken a hand,' retorted the doctor coolly, "'and I have won. "'My aim was to save Miss Chent from being unjustly convicted. "'For whomsoever murdered Lanwin, "'I am convinced that she is innocent. "'As she is now free, "'and the prevailing opinion seems to be that Agstone is guilty, "'why stir up muddy water and waken sleeping dogs?' "'You forget,' said Shepworth rather tartly, that I have to be cleared myself. Burge says that I am innocent, but the fact that he has practically arrested me proves that he thinks the contrary. Horace, who was smoking his ungainly German pipe, shook his shaggy head vigorously. When the inquest takes place, you will be discharged without a stain on your character. That being the case, my advice to you is a speedy marriage with Miss Chent, who is also free. Don't bother your head further about these two murders. When Horace mentioned marriage with Mona so pointedly, Prelice darted a side glance at his chum, bearing in mind the hints of Captain Jadby and Lady Sophia. As he expected, Shepworth colored and looked confused. At present, I am not rich enough to marry Mona, he said in a halting way, and by the burning of the will she loses the property. Horace chuckled silently. Which goes to Captain Jadby? Yes, the earlier will comes into force now that the latter one has been destroyed. In that case, observed Horace, complacently puffing at his pipe, I should advise her to marry Captain Jadby. Shepworth, still looking uneasy, went to stare out of the window, and it was Prelice who replied, I'm hanged if she'll do that. "'Why not?' inquired the doctor with a keen glance. "'Jadby has the money by Shepworth's showing. "'He isn't bad-looking, and he loves her devotedly. "'Also it was Sir Oliver's wish.' "'Jadby's a caddish ruffian,' cried Prelice warmly "'and with a sudden access of color. "'We don't know where he comes from, or from the South Seas, my old son, "'or who he is,' continued Prelice impetuously. It would be a shame that so delightful a girl should marry a shady buccaneer. Ned, you are engaged to Miss Chent. Why don't you speak? There is nothing to say, replied the barrister somewhat coldly. If Miss Chent will take me, a pauper as I am, I shall only be too charmed to make her my wife. Prelice raised his eyebrows. A conviction was forcing itself upon him that Ned had no real love for the girl. But if that was the case, why had he become engaged to her? Why had he so vigorously defended her of late? Then there was Mrs. Dolly Rover, but Prelice knew nothing about that mysterious lady, as he had not seen her since returning to London. He had half a mind then and there to demand an explanation from Ned, but the presence of Dr. Horace restrained him, and with an afterthought of wisdom, 
he determined to interview mrs rover herself before coming to an understanding with the barrister as it was therefore unnecessary to pursue the subject and as already horace was asking him mutely why he should take such an interest in an engaged young lady prelis changed the subject by an attack on the doctor himself i can't understand why you should wish to abandon the search into these cases when you were so keen yesterday to run the show on your own horace quite understood the slang of the concluding remark i merely quoted a proverb about letting sleeping dogs lie he said coolly why are you afraid for a certain person questioned prelice meaning agstone and the listener's relationship with agstone oh no retorted the doctor quite aware of what prelice was referring to the person you hint at is dead and every one believes him guilty of the first murder it doesn't matter who killed him as shepworth here is sure to be acquitted i don't care a damn one way or the other as you will respect my confidence what confidence asked the barrister suddenly one that i made to prelis here said the doctor dryly then heaving up his squat figure from the armchair he waddled towards the door there he paused and addressed himself to prelis if you go on prying into this matter, he said with an uplifted finger, you will be very, very sorry, my son. What do you mean? Gammon and spinach, said Horace, again enigmatic, and hurled himself out of the room, still smoking his unwieldy pipe. The two young men stared at one another. Is he mad? asked Shepworth. Mad like Hamlet south-southwest rejoined the other in a vexed tone unless he is in league with that jadby bounder whom he knew in the south seas i don't know what he means by backing out but surely you don't suspect jadby asked ned startled why not he was at mrs rover's ball nonsense she doesn't know him remember the jewel robberies said prelice dryly a great number of people unknown to host or hostess were at that ball but jadby shepworth bit his fingers perplexedly you can't suspect him he came and saw me and then went away it was a woman whom agstone brought in she must have killed agstone prelice shrugged his shoulders and sauntered about the room perhaps he remarked carelessly sauntering about the room i certainly have no reason to suspect jadby save that he was at the ball how do you know he was one of the crowd that rushed in to see you insensible and he wore a domino and mask as did the rest of them then how did you spot him he unmasked that shows his innocence declared shepworth quickly for if he had come to the ball to slip down and murder agstone he would not have revealed himself hmm hmm perhaps not prelice threw himself into a chair however i shall keep an eye on jadby then you are still searching into the case into both cases corrected the other lighting a cigar i want to learn who killed lanwin and who murdered agstone out of friendship for me cried shepworth grasping his chum's hand you are a brick dory 
Prelice returned the grasp, but blushed a trifle. He knew that love for Mona prompted the desire to search as much as friendship for the man before him. If he could only understand Shepworth's attitude towards the girl and towards Mrs. Rover. Again it was on the tip of his tongue to ask a leading question, but he suppressed the desire and kept to his earlier resolution to see the lady in the flat overhead. By the way, said Prelice carelessly, have you seen Miss Chent? No, answered Shepworth rather ruefully. I wish I could have seen her, but Burge hurried me away from the court to keep me as a kind of state prisoner here. However, Mona wrote me a short note thanking me for all I had done and said that she was going down to Lanwin Grange. But if it belongs to Jadby, the will isn't proved yet, interrupted the barrister quickly, and until it is, Mr. Mortiban thinks Mona should stop at the Grange. Mr. Mortiban, the late Sir Oliver's lawyer, a kind, clever old chap, he has taken Mona down to the Grange and Mrs. Blexley, who is devoted to her, will look after the poor girl until I am free to visit her. You'll go down, of course, said Prelice nervously. Oh, yes, as soon as the inquest is over and Burge sets me free. I do not see how I can be arrested, but meanwhile, Dory, you could do me a great favor. Prelice raised his eyes. What is that? Go down at once to hide and see Mona. "'But I don't know her,' said Prelice, taken aback. Although his face grew hot and his heart bounded at the idea of meeting this adorable girl, with whom he now knew himself to be in love, "'I'll give you a card of introduction. Tell her that I'm all right and will be down as soon as I can.' "'All right,' assented Prelice, feeling a guilty joy in thus yielding to a delightful temptation. "'But the case!' That can look after itself until the inquest is over. Then, when I have seen Mona and her future is settled by Mortiban, her living and income and all that, I mean, we can look into matters. I am as keen as you are to get at the truth of these two murders, Dory. We can dispense with Horace. I wish I knew exactly why he backed out, murdered Prelice thoughtfully. It is so unlike Horace to jib. Perhaps he has something to do with the matter himself, seeing that he possessed the sacred herb, said Shepworth, jocularly. Nonsense. Horace would kill one man and a dozen men in fair fight, but he's not the chap to stick anyone in the back. By the way, tell me one thing, Ned. This lady, who came in with Agstone, and waved the cup under your nose to make you insensible, she wore a green mask, you said? Yes, and a green domino also. Prelice nodded. Did you catch a glimpse of her frock by any chance, or did your senses fail you? They did not fail me too quickly. I did see her frock. It was a white dress with thin lines of red running horizontally across it. Many lines? asked Prelice breathlessly. It seemed to be ruled like a page of music, said Shepworth. Why, what is the matter? Matter? echoed Prelice, who had risen and was dancing round the room like a schoolboy. What you say gives me a clue. I saw that dress at the ball. The lady who wore it was scented with two roses. 
With tube roses? Or with the sacred herb? I must find out who she is. How can you? I don't know. I can't say. But if we can find her, we may learn if she killed Agstone and why she did it. That discovery will lead to learning who murdered Lanwin. It is the beginning of the end. Give up the case indeed, cried Prelice, exultantly. Why, it's the only thing that renders life in London bearable. But do you think that this lady is guilty? Asked Shepworth, doubtfully. Of course I do. Otherwise, why should she be scented with the perfume of the sacred herb, which has to do with both crimes? Shepworth shook his head, unable to answer this question. End of chapter 11